So I've mentioned to you before how much I love it when everybody comes back from the summer, when you're no longer out doing all the things that you do during summertime. I like it when everybody comes back and, you know, when the weather turns bad and the snow starts falling and the temperature drops and you don't enjoy going outside very much. I love it when that happens because that means that people might start coming back to our assembly on Sunday mornings with a more regular basis. I think this morning there are still lots of people out there enjoying all the, uh, the things that are out there. But I'm waiting for that day. You know, usually by, uh, by the first of November or so, it's gotten cold enough and nasty enough outside that people are, are back uh, more often and not out so much. So I, I really like that. And you think to yourself, man, what a glutton for punishment and why does he wish so much bad on us? It's not that I wish bad on you. But there is something that motivates me to actually think that way. And I'm, I'm only being kind of partially facetious when I say all of that. And that's because the fact is, I need you. And I was thinking of this song. I was sitting there with Robin a moment ago and I was thinking, Like the flower needs the rain, you know, I need you. Like the winter needs the spring, you know, I need you. I need you. And then I thought, oh, I could get them all to sing this with me this morning. We could break into chorus and sing, I need you. But I don't think we'll sing that. But that's how I sometimes feel. Like I really do need you. You are so much a part of my life. And it's a little bit selfish of me. In fact, in one sense, it's totally selfish of me to say, I want you here. I want you back And there's a self-centered hope that I have that you'll stop enjoying all that stuff outside and actually come back and be here more on Sunday mornings with me. Now, you might think, well, yeah, that is a little bit selfish of you. Uh, That's kind of true. But it is true. Because I do really, really need you. And I don't like it when you're not here. When I see your smiling face, it makes me happy. Like the little kid who sees their mother is excited about seeing her. And I guess one of the reasons is because I'm a little afraid that if if you're not here, one of the things that that might just say to me is that you don't need me as much as I need you. And I want you to. Not because I want to be special to you, but because the fellowship that we share together in Jesus, I want to be so important to you that you really want to be here. In fact, I want the fellowship that we enjoy together in Jesus to be so significant for you that you love being here, that you crave being here, that you miss it when you're not here. And I'm, I'm hoping you feel that way. I do. And part of the reason I feel that way is simply because God wants his disciples to feel that way about each other. In fact, scripture says some things about our life together that we're going to look at in just a moment about disciples and how much they need each other. But first of all, let me tell you about the first sermon I ever preached. The first sermon I ever preached, I was in my second year of university and I decided that I was going to Uh, I wanted to preach sometime. So I went to the preacher at the church where I was attending, and it was a Sunday night, and I said, I'd like to preach on a Sunday night. And he said, you know, we can do that. That's fine. And I kid you not, 
It was the exact same sermon that I'm preaching today. Except, I've got uh, bad news. I had 14 pages of notes that I took into the pulpit with me that evening. I preached for seven minutes. And the bad news is I'm going to preach for longer than seven minutes today. But it's the same subject. It's the same theme. In fact, I have a commentary that I still I have this commentary uh, in my office at home. And in the front of it, there are some very nice words from a young lady that I had just started dating. And she wrote to me this message about how she really hoped that this sermon would go well. And she hoped that me reading this commentary would bless my spiritual life and those kind of things. Very nice sentiments. And, and of course, that was from Robin. It was the first commentary I, that I ever got came from my wife. And it's because she wanted me to do well in the sermons. And, and, and really it was because of the relationship that we had, but not because of the dating relationship that we had. Because I'd met Robin several years before and we were part of the same youth group. And in that youth group, there was a sense of kind of life and vitality and community in Jesus, almost like I've never experienced. I think it meant a lot to me then because I was 15 years old and I really wanted that community in my life. And she and I, along with several others, had a a profound relationship with each other at that point in the youth group. And so when I read that inscription from her, yes, she did give it to me because we'd started dating a couple of months before. But the bottom line is, Robin and I had been friends before that and had relationship for years before we started dating because we were together in Christ. And that's the way it's supposed to be. God wants us to be relating to one another in unity and community. And it was totally perfect for me in my very first sermon and for me now to preach about Christian unity and love and the devotion that disciples are to have to one another because this is right at the core of what it means for us to be a body of Christ. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. It's on page 828 in the Pew Bibles this morning. If you grab a Pew Bible off the rack in front of you, Page 828, Ephesians chapter 4. It's also on the screen, and I just, I want us to see this. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. And I want you to notice the way that this, the way that this tracks, the way that this moves, and where the center of our unity lies. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. So you can see the unity there. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And let me just ask you, what is the word that you see in that text more than any other? What's the word that stands out and is there more than any other? One. Sure, it's obvious, isn't it? God says that there is one of all these things, and because there is one of all these things, he calls us to unity. In fact, it's, it's interesting how there's the major tenets of Christianity are listed here, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, etc., etc., and there's one of all of these. And so he says, unity is something the church should achieve because of all these things. Now, here's the way he also does this. I'll just point out some things that I think are significant. One is the unity and the oneness which we enjoy is created by the Spirit. In other words, it's not created by you and me. It's the unity of the Spirit. It doesn't say, 
get unified. The text says that the Spirit has given us unity, and our job is to actually maintain and preserve what it is that God has already given us. Well, I think that's interesting. Clearly, that kind of unity is important to God. Secondly, our unity is is created by what we believe together and not just by what we do together. That's interesting, too. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, etc. Those are the things he says that we believe. He does want us to love one another, and he says that in the text as well. But really, it's all the things that we believe together that create the unity that we're to possess. People who are disciples of God are going to end up believing some things together, and we do. And then thirdly, I would say from this text, the unity we share is supposed to impact our behavior. And so we do end up treating each other well. We end up unified. We end up making choices about how we're going to not just live, but even a choice like whether or not we're going to be here this morning. And all of that has to do with this oneness that we achieve in Jesus. Well, one of the things that this means is that the church itself is not a social club. We're not a social club. There are other reasons that pull us together than just the fact that we like being together or something. And so, for example, this is a God-centered community of believers who encourage each other, and look what the next few words say there, in the Lord. And we are together because we are fellow followers of Jesus. Notice that what this doesn't say. This doesn't say that we come together on Sunday morning because we were all born into the church. There's, there's no place in the Bible that says we were all born into the church and therefore we're all united in him because of that. Instead, it's specifically because of our relationship to the Lord Jesus that we're gathered. There must be something happening between ourselves and Christ in order for us to have the kind of unity that reflects the kind of unity that God wants. A fellowship of believers who are fellow followers of Jesus. And then I want you to notice, we'll look at the very first verse of chapter 4. Notice this verse. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Well, this is interesting, this notion of calling. What is it that we have been called to, and by whom are we called? We've got this new banner. Come, follow me. And that sounds to me like a calling. In fact, there was Matthew who gets called, sitting at the tax collector's booth, and Jesus comes along and says, follow me. Peter and Andrew and John and James are down by the seashore at the boats. And Jesus walks by and says, come, follow me. And he calls them. The rich young ruler gets called by Jesus. And when Jesus is calling all of these people, he's calling them to follow him. And he calls them to a collective kind of relationship together. And so the apostles form a community right from the beginning as Jesus shapes their lives together around a communal relationship centered on who he is as Lord and they follow Jesus in a communal kind of way. 
Someone mentioned to me this week that there are some things that we can't do to get, uh, separately. There's some things that you just have to have others with in order to complete them. Like, for example, we have a couple of airplane pilots in our church. Who are they? Like commercial pilots. John and Michael Coughlin. Have you ever thought about the fact that although a pilot can get behind, I don't know, do they have steering wheels? What do you have in a plane? Some kind of console anyway, right? What's that? It's a control column. Okay, so we're, we're, sitting, we're sitting behind the control column, but is there, do we get the plane up in the air by ourselves, especially if we're a commercial pilot? Like we get all those people on the plane, they're all by, they're all there, and we get them up in the plane and take off by ourselves. Well, no, it doesn't happen that way. You've got people on the ground, the ground crew. You've got people in the tower telling the pilot whether or not he can go, we can take off, when he can land, all those kind of things. While he's in the air, there is constant communication between himself and the ground. You've got the co-pilot on the plane. You've got the rest of the crew on the plane. It might take hundreds of people to get a plane up in the air and flying so that they can take people from one place to another. You just can't do that by yourself. Someone mentioned that you don't go to the North Pole all by yourself. It takes a big expedition. Of course, nowadays, you probably can... You can take a helicopter there, I suppose. But in the old days, it would be by dog sled. They'd probably have a whole team of people that would take you. You just wouldn't decide to walk there all by yourself. If you did, what would happen? What do you think would happen? You'd die. Absolutely. You'd end up dead. They'd find your frozen carcass out there somewhere because you tried to do it all by yourself. It just works that way. There are some things that we have to be with others on or they don't get done. You'll remember some of you who are older, Apollo 13. Three American astronauts went up. I don't know what year was that. 1973 or something like that. They went up. Their plan was to land on the moon. But something went terribly wrong. They had to stay in the spacecraft for a number of days and then finally make their way back to Earth. Can you imagine the thousands of people that it took to get that airship, that space capsule, back to the ground? And so one of the things that Jimmy Lovell did when he returned was he specifically thanked all those people who said, he said, you know, for us to get back, thousands of you had to do all your work, 24 hours a day, you had to stay on this for the three of us so that we could land back here safely. And that's just the way it is, I think, in the body of Christ. Like, we can't do this by ourselves. There's no individual Christians. There's no individual who stands in the church all by himself doing all the work We all need one another. And our spiritual lives are brought along and nurtured and preserved only because we have relationships with one another. And if we don't, the fact is, we end up dead. Well, I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 now. Because this is interesting. This unity that God calls us to is preserved in the church in a very specific kind of way. Look at verse 11. It says, he, It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, 
some to be evangelists and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. He goes on to say, then we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And what's so interesting about that passage is how corporate it is. When he's talking about the growth of Christians, he's never talking here about individuality. In fact, even the the growth of the body occurs because a whole group of people, leaders, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, all those people are called to work in the church and to do things that build up the body of Christ. And if they don't do their work, the body of Christ isn't going to be built up. But then each one has its own role to play. And so we see things like this of a corporate nature within these verses. We see that we have different roles for the sake of each other. And notice I've I've italicized this for the sake of each other because that's what the text specifically says. That we have these roles in order to build up the body of Christ for each other. We're building up the entire body. That's our goal. It's not just some of us that are supposed to grow. Not just some of us have a responsibility for helping everyone grow. Unity in the faith, mutual knowledge of Christ, mutual maturity in becoming like Christ, that's the goal. And of course, that word mutual means that we're all doing this together. You know, I love it when I go out into the foyer here, out into the hallway, and I look at the board where Carrie has been putting up all the little books for all the different memory verses that people have been saying. One of the reasons that I love that is because there's not just one. There's not two. There's not three. Now, so far, we've got two or three memory verses that we're supposed to say, and there's supposed to be a record of that on the wall. But how many books are there? Carrie, how many books do we have so far? Do you know? Okay, 104 after the first week. Now, we're we're doing some more now. I don't know how many we have now. Maybe there's 200. Well, why is that possible? That's possible because we're all growing part of the body, becoming what God wants us to be, being nurtured along. It's a mutual kind of maturity that we're achieving in Christ. God wants us as disciples who follow him to do it together. And so mutual stability and security in the faith, that's the goal. Notice it's mutual. Mutual love. He specifically mentions that in the passage. Mutual growth in Christ. Mutual body connection and support. And then finally, each part working with the other parts to do what God wants them to do. The whole thing, front to back, is all about the community of faith. And we're part of it. And I love that aspect. I love the fact that wherever I've gone in my walk as a Christian, that there's always been a group of people with whom I've been associated. You know, I've told you before that every time that Robin and I have left a church, and it hasn't been very often, but every time that we've left a church, I leave in a puddle of tears. Why does that happen? 
Why is it that when someone from here leaves, goes to another place after we've been fellowshipping with them and Jesus for 20 years, why does it break our hearts? Because God has called us that kind of unity, that kind of oneness in Him. We all have roles to play. We play those roles. We live together as disciples of Jesus. And something happens to us because we do. These are uh, titles of books. I've been into Bonhoeffer lately, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and he, he wrote this book, The Cost of Discipleship. And I think it's interesting. I'm reading The Cost of Discipleship, of course, because we've got discipleship as our theme, Come Follow Me. That's what that book is all about. Many people say it's the best book on discipleship ever written. I think it's fascinating that before he went into prison and was eventually hung by the Nazis because of his faith, I think it's fascinating that he wrote another book called Life Together. Don't the two kind of go together? Isn't it interesting that he writes a book on discipleship? And it's like he can't help but move then into a book on life together because being disciples means we're going to do this together. So I want you to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's on page 813 in your pew Bible, just if you're looking there. But if you're in your own Bible, just turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we can say a lot of things about this chapter. A lot of it has to do with spiritual gifting. I'm not so interested in that specifically this morning, as much as I am the singularness of the body. Look at verse 12. Paul says the body is a unit. What, what does the word unit mean? If we were in math and I said, oh, here's a unit, what would I mean? Singular, right? There's a sense of singularity about the notion of unit. The body is a unit, though it's made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. Look at those words. So it is with Christ. That's interesting to me. Jesus is the model here for the body that we're supposed to be part of. And it's interesting, we kind of let this line go and don't do a whole lot with it when we read through this text, but Paul specifically says, so it is with Christ. Isn't he drawing our attention to the singularity, the oneness of who Jesus is? And then isn't he saying to us that our life together is supposed to be like this one body? Not just any body, but specifically the body of Jesus is what we emulate. And that body of Christ was one, like any other body. And so he goes on to say, for we're all baptized by the Spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks or slave or free, and we're all given the one Spirit to drink. The body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Have you ever thought about that? You're in the body, and God has arranged you to be in the body just exactly as he wants you to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be as it is? There are many parts, but one body. And that's our experience. 
We're all together in the body and we all have a role to play. God wants this unified body to be functioning for him in such a way that all the things he wants to get done, including the unity that is ours, is part of the function of that one body. And so, hands, eyes, toes, and ears, what if they're cut off and separated from the body? What happens to them? They die. In fact, they die every single time. When I was in high school, my father had a disease in his hands. I've got the same disease in my hands, not near as bad as he did. His little finger was like this all the time. I've told you before what happened. He finally, he got so tired of that finger always being in his way that he, he had it amputated. It was, he willingly had it cut off. What do you think happened to that finger, that digit after it was gone? Not a very pleasant thought, is it? I, I, you know, I'm guessing, that I, what do you do with a finger? Do you just throw that in the trash? The one thing I know for sure is that it didn't live. And trying to be a follower or a disciple of Jesus is kind of like if you're cut off from the rest of the body, like that finger. And what will happen to that finger? It will die every single time. And so the point this morning is pretty simple. Being a disciple of Jesus means following him together. And true discipleship always happens as a communal experience. And so I want to say this morning to you, if you're trying in any way to make it on your own, you're not going to make it. In fact, I would say that you need to make some intentional decisions to put yourself in a position where being with others is a possibility for you so that communal life together can be your pattern of discipleship. Because if you're not in that kind of relationship and growing, discipling, being discipled in relationship with others, I'm just afraid that we're going to find ourselves out there cut off. And so I encourage you to find a life group. And I do encourage you to be here on Sunday mornings. I encourage you to go to class. I encourage you to build relationships with others. James is going to make an announcement in a second about the men's retreat. Guys, you should go. Because if you go, you have the possibility of building relationship with others and being discipled along with them, becoming what God wants us to be as we follow him together. That's what he wants us to do. Follow him together. And I hope we do. Let's pray. Lord, whether we know it or not, we need each other. And sometimes we, we make excuses for why we don't have relationships in, in the church. We don't go out of our way to make those relationships. There are ways in which we don't bind ourselves to this body as tightly as we could. But God, it's so clear to me that when we try and 
do this discipleship thing on our own, that we're bound to fail, we're bound to die. And so help us to see the opportunities and the needs that are in our lives for fellowship with your people and fellow disciples. Bring your spirit in and teach us and draw that unity out of us. Create it. Help us to be devoted, Lord, to one another, even as we're devoted to following you. It's through Christ that we pray. Amen. James? Good morning. I guess the praise team can make their way up. This is brief. Um, for those of you that don't know me, my name is James Mooney, and uh, I'm involved in the men's ministry here with the Calgary Church of Christ. And I'm making an announcement this morning only because the month of October snuck up on me like one of my kids first thing in the morning. I, uh, this retreat of ours, we do every year. We take off to Sundry, Alberta, just about an hour north. Uh, and uh, Friday after work, we head up. We spend Friday night, Saturday, Sunday morning, and come home Sunday afternoon. Uh, it's been an incredible blessing for those that have participated in the past. For the guys, young and old, if you're 15 years old to 100, you're welcome to join us. Bring your dad, bring your granddad, bring your kids. Um, it's a great opportunity to share and learn. I can't really say it better than the way you shared it, Kelly. Uh, it's a wonderful opportunity just to get away together, to fellowship, to have some fun. There's fun and games. There's also some great things to be learned. This year, our speaker is none other than Jonathan Straker. He's graciously agreed with a little bit of arm twisting to come and share his passion for God, embracing God's will in action in our lives and the fulfillment that comes with joining him in the field of service. Jonathan's been with us a short while, and I can't think of a better way uh, to get out and get to know him a little bit better, and some of you as well. There is a sign-up sheet at the Connection Center just out in the lobby. If you get the church emails, this past Wednesday and Thursday, emails have been sent out. If you find the men's ministry portion of that email, there is a a link that has all the details about the weekend, uh, how do I get there, what do I wear, what do I bring, what will we be doing. If you need a ride, we can make those arrangements. My email address and phone number are in there as well. Contact me directly throughout the week. You can sign up via the links on the email, or you can sign up in the lobby. This is a ministry that we subsidize some of the costs for, so to attend is only $100. That includes accommodations and weekend and meals for the entire weekend. Uh, if it's a first time for you and you'd like to come out and try it, uh, we'll subsidize that further to a cost of $60. Uh, any questions, please see me in the lobby after church, and we hope to see you there. If you are intending on going, and I know I have a tendency to procrastinate signing up, please try to let us know in some way over the course of the next week to 10 days so that we can let the Lodge know how many to expect. Thank you.